0: driving forces i'm your host jeff simmons and i thank you for tuning in to wbai today and you were just listening to like, talking about this one of my favorite tunes ever so i will attempt to do a good rendition of this at seven o'clock tonight reggie so thanks for mentioning that Uh, I was reading a New York Times piece earlier today and I I really encourage you if you don't have a hard copy of the paper to please pick this up or go online even better you'll be able to see uh, dynamic images as well it it contains first-person accounts from a number of the nurses uh, at a hospital in New York City and what they've been going through serving on the front lines of treating people who tell their slaters and also worrying about their health One of them had said, and this is the quote, I can't just give up on being a nurse, and this is the time that they need us. And there are just amazing quotes, uh, great pictures. It is really worth reading this, and I'm gonna talk about that later on during the show. If someone in your family or you or your friends have required treatment, you're well aware of the commitment of these frontline workers they're essential to our health and our well-being. And so on today's show, that's what I'm going to focus on, on health Just a few minutes, Gustavo Rivera, that's the issues that matter to him, how the pandemic is affecting his district. Also, why he voted against the New York State budget recently, in part because of what it will mean for health care. And then in the second half of the show, I'll be talking with the uh, relatively new head of the New York State Nurses Association. The association recently filed several lawsuits, including one against the State Department of Health. Pat King and I will discuss the work of nurses throughout the state, the conditions that they're working under, and what she believes still needs to ensure medical prof- Before I get to the first guest, just a few news updates. Uh, about 160,000 people in New York City have tested positive for the coronavirus, and more than 41,000 have been hospitalized to date. Nearly 12,300 people have died of the virus in the five boroughs. And that's how many have been confirmed, by the way. But more than five thousand other cases are considered probable deaths and across New York State about three hundred thousand people have tested positive and over 18- eighty. Sure with Mayor de Blasio, the governor announced today that the around-the-clock subway system is now going to shut down between 1 in the morning and 5 in the morning, starting on May 6, starting next week, so that the trains can be cleaned and scrubbed with disinfectants. This is an unprecedented move to curb the spread of the coronavirus. If you've read the reports recently, there's been a lot of uh, uh, finger-pointing between the state and the city about who is responsible. Uh, Conservative homeless subways recently. With the Centers for Disease Control and the U.S. Department of Health so that they can provide free antibody testing to first responders. That will start with the city's 11 public hospitals and testing will prioritize workers who are in these settings uh, with high risks of exposure such as ERs and ICUs. And the mayor announced that the city will be partnering also with the U.S. Department of Defense and the city's public and private hospitals to offer mental health services to frontline medical workers who are now coping with stress. I mean, medical professionals who've taken their own lives in recent days amid the pandemic. This was the front page. I believe that was the New York Post or Daily News the last day or two about one of those. You also read the accounts of an EMT worker relatively new on the job who took his own life. So I'd like to now get to my first guest, New York State Senator Gustavo Rivera. For the last decade, he's represented the 33rd Senate District, and that includes a number of neighborhoods of the Bronx like Kingsbridge Heights, East Tremont, Cretona Park, Fordham, Van Ness, Claremont, Morris. He has focused equity both legislatively and on the ground. He launched an organization called, or an initiative, called Bronx Can, Changing Attitudes Now, a health initi- initiative that encourages Bronx residents to develop healthy behaviors and helps to shape policies that'll break down institutional barriers that would stand in the way of Bronxites having a healthier lifestyle. And since 2018, he has chaired the New York State Senate's Health Committee, which he had served on for the previous six years as a ranking committee member. Senator Rivera, welcome back to WBAI.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you. And yes, it has been a decade
0: which is when you say it like that I feel like it was yesterday when i time really yeah. f- and i'm not going to get into the fact that a, a another host of wbai has told me you do very uh, incredible impressions we'll do that another time Yes, we will. <laughs> okay. I want to start off uh, talking about the budget. Obviously, yeah. the legislature and the governor are going to have to make some tough decisions given the state of our economy. You voted against the budget, even though there were some areas that were contained in there that you agreed with. Can you?
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, anyone who, who is for not to be, you can put things in different places. The budget is divided into all these different parts. But in very important parts of it, I voted no. Uh, and the reason is very simple, uh, particularly as it relates to the choices that this governor has made. Uh, and these, this, I want to make sure that we underline that this, these are choices that have been made by our governor, because we in, in government, we always make choices. So the governor has made the choice to, in this time, to tax millionaires and billionaires at a higher rate. And he made the choice as well to cut Medicaid. Now, these are choices that he made. And this was, by, by the way, many of this was happening before the crisis uh, and in my role as the chair of the health committee my job is to understand what the proposals are then uh, break it down to my conference and make sure that we have a, an understanding of what was proposed and i was opposed to it before the crisis but then when the crisis hit the fact that the governor doubled down and chose to again not in my constituent and he chose to cut medicaid which is a system that is going to take care of of those individuals who are poor and working class across our entire state. I could not in good conscience vote for that budget and so I voted again. I'll
0: elaborate a little, you also in a tweet, for instance, mentioned that this is going to have a disproportionate impact on uh, on brown and poor New Yorkers. You know, That's we've true. talked about how the coronavirus also is disproportionately affecting uh, specific groups. Can you, can you talk about how at this time, this cut to Medicaid also just is compounded by what we're dealing with with the coronavirus? So for the last
1: uh, 10 years, Woods Johnson Foundation does work around the country, and it does county ratings of health. So it basically ranks every county in the entire state of New York, as well as uh, other states. And in the state of New York, out of 62, the Bronx has been the last county, number 62, in that rating of 62 as far as health outcomes. Uh, now, there are other counties with high populations of black and brown folks and poor people that also have very bad ratings uh, as it relates to health. Heart disease, diabetes, uh, uh, obesity—something that we knew. Issues, uh, structural racism issues that have led to inequality in the healthcare system. And this is before the crisis hit. So many of us knew that when the crisis started to kind of unravel and we started to kind of see the impact of this, the impact on the people of color was always going to be worse uh, for 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 a whole host of reasons, and therefore. We have to focus on how we we put the resources where they're most needed, right? And this is something, again, the governor has argued this when he argues that sources of the state of New York and the amount of cases and everything that we have been dealing with, they're saying, he is saying, the federal government needs to do more for the state of New York. Well, I agree. And in the same way, I would say, governor, you need to make sure that you do more for poor and working class folks across the state of New York who are served by Medicaid. And he is choosing to do this. This is not the time to be messing with the system that is going to make sure that poor and working class people across the state of New York are kept healthy and alive. He is choosing to cut that system and that is just unconscionable.
0: So, uh, let's go a little further on that. So, if we're expecting... That the level of New York State, the governor has to fix, uh, and cut the budget uh, by a significant percent. One account I read is that he'll have to cut state agency budgets by about 10%. Where should he look to? Where Where are the areas then that the governor you feel should look to? Well, first
1: of all, we should focus on the areas that he should not focus on, which he should not look at. Meaning the places that are most the the the, the services that are provided to those folks who are most in need, right? So that's the place where you have to look. And second, you have to make sure that we have more resources, more revenue. Now, I understand, uh, like, what well, we can't to hit left hard, we can certainly figure out how to put more revenue and more resources so that we do not take away from those folks who are most in need. And furthermore, on any of these type of conversations, and this is what the governor, sadly and unfortunately, has not been ever good at, he needs to work cooperatively with the legislature. He does not. There is every time that he gets the opportunity to be able to do things strictly by himself. And look, he understands governance. But what they have failed to always always understand is how to work cooperatively. So even though he says that, he talked about my decade in government. My decade in government has been spent trying to understand how someone who is as smart and as capable as him who surrounds himself with the smart people, people he surrounds himself with, does not seem to understand that the best way to be able to achieve anything difficult is to do it together. He keeps saying that, but he doesn't be unilateral, without real conversation. The, 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 the cuts that happened with Medicaid happened through something called the MRT or Medicaid Redesign Team. That was a dog and pony show that did not really conclude stakeholders at the table or include the legislature in the whole process. It was mostly a unilateral process. So if we're going to decide the the tough decisions that we're going to have to make, the best way to do them is to make them together as opposed to having it be imposed by the governor, which is what he is doing.
0: So final question on Medicaid, uh, because I know this is important to you. This goes through, this covers a significant percentage of New Yorkers. What's the impact? How is this going to affect many of your constituents?
1: the fact is that medicaid is a system that serves one out of three new yorkers many of my constituents but this is a system that impacts the entire state of new york not just talking about new york city right there are a lot of and working class folks in new york city but there's plenty of and working class folks in other parts of the state that live in rural parts of the state or suburban parts of the state who are served by the medicaid system there are thousands if not millions of new yorkers who are on long-term care across the state that are served by the Medicaid system. And so when you say that you're gonna cut a system which serves one out of three New Yorkers, you're talking about safety net hospitals, community health centers, you're talking about nursing homes, you're talking about all of these places where, which by the way, this is what's particularly ironic. You know, every time at 7 p.m., right? Every day at 7 p.m., we go outside, we we scream, we thank the, the, the workers that are that are the frontline workers, right? We do that every, every, every day, and I'm sure that the governor does as well. And yet, he's threatening right now to cut the system in which they are working the hardest because they have the fewest resources. If you go to any safety net hospital across the state or any emergency room in a place like, like St. Barnabas Health System, a hospital in my district, or Elmhurst Hospital out in Queens, part of the public health system in the city of New York, those are the places where people have worked the hardest, have seen the most impact, and those are the places that are going to get hit first and worst. We can't go there. We can't go down that route.
0: So the governor has received a lot of accolades for the way he has handled this pandemic in New York State. What is your assessment of how he has handled this?
1: Well, first of all, in comparison to the, you know, petulant pile of feces in the White House that orange <laughs> madman there, uh, he, he obviously gets an A-plot. plus. is no question. Because, again, Cuomo and the people he surrounds himself with, they are smart people. They understand governance. They are effective at doing the things that they want to do. So on that end, in comparison to the White House and every you know, craziness that's coming from there, he is doing a magnificent job. However, once you start to take into account that we did not act as quickly as we needed to. We see, for example, California, which is a state that is bigger than New York and has places of con- of ki- concentration of of urban concentration that are comparable to New York in certain places. They have not had anywhere near the amount of deaths that New York has had. The there are there are actions that have been taken in California as well related to undocumented populations who are people who are here. They are part of our reality there are new yorkers as well there are californians in the case of california and the state of california has acted more aggressively to help them out so i would say that he is at times has communicated very clearly about what the challenges are and what are the things that we need to do in front of us and sometimes he has been exceptional i repeat exceptional at explaining the realities of how we have to transition here from the pause that we have into uh, the the new normal because it cannot be the same normal cannot possibly be. But when you look down at some of his actions, if he only included other folks into his decision making, if he actually listened to folks as opposed to figured out how to be on top and be the one that always is lauded for making the best decisions, uh, he would do such a better job. So I, you know, I, 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 I would hope that um, that at some point he gets to that. He gets there.
0: You know, in this week, one of the biggest controversies had been over the uh, how to address homelessness on our transit system here in the city. And then earlier today, I mentioned at the start of the show about how the governor's announced that the subway system is going to shut down for four hours uh, overnight starting next week. How do you feel the governor and the mayor have handled this issue?
1: So, so, so two more two more examples here, particularly about uh, about how the governor, unfortunately manages things. Now, remember, over the last couple of years, as I'm sure that all your listeners will remember, the governor says consistently that he doesn't run the MTA. That's not his responsibility. He can't be the one that, the, and all of a sudden, without telling members of the board, the board, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, has a board that is appointed by the governor and by legislative leaders and by other folks around the state. Members of the board were not informed that he was going to do this. He goes to his press conference and he announces it, even though, again, remember, he doesn't run the MTA. But apparently he can decide overnight without telling the board that he is going to do that. Uh, and then you also have to consider what, what he did yesterday and this moment right now when we're to deal with this issue. And you consistently say we have to do it together, and I agree. If you consider this a public health issue, or a public health crisis that must treat everyone as potentially being impacted by the public health crisis, then we have to act accordingly. And when he said about homeless individuals that they are disgusting, right? This is a, a dehumanizing tactic that I did not appreciate in the least. You cannot social distance in your home if you don't have a home. So now you're saying that as opposed to, and, and I'm not saying that I want to be dismissive of notions of people getting into the cars and. And, and having to, to to smell folks that have that that have might have defecated in the car, et cetera, but we have to be more human about this. We have to think about the individuals who don't have the ability to go to a home. we have to think about how we house them, how we treat them in this situation, and not just throw police at it, right uh, you, who and I'm sure that police officers also do not appreciate the fact that they are seen as a way to resolve most social ills when that is not what their job is. Their job is not to find people homes. Their job is not to be social workers. And yet, on a situation like this, that's what we're out of say, Had he, the relationship between the governor and the mayor sometimes is just, it is funny in the best of circumstances, but in these types of, of, of circumstances like we have right now, cooperation, which I repeat, is something the governor does not know how to do that would be the best way to do it.
0: And in talking about issues of homelessness, I think of how in the coming months and years, as a result of this pandemic, it seems reasonable to expect that the number of people confronting homelessness is at the unemployment numbers, for instance, the legislature should consider, uh, and the governor, as far as measures to protect tenants moving ahead. Well,
1: th- this is this is another example. See, every time you and this is true of the governor in so many instances. He looks so good at first. And then you start scratching under the surface and you start asking yourself all sorts of questions. He has said uh, more than, you know, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, probably about a month ago, he said, I dealt with the rent issue. Sir, no, you did not. Right now there is a 90-day moratorium. We're in, we're in day probably 45 or something. I don't know the exact date. But there was a 90-day moratorium declared by executive order on eviction. This does not mean... That the tenants who cannot pay their rent because oh they did not pay a month and a half ago, how are they going to pay three months if they couldn't pay the month of it went by? So we have to cancel rents. There are def- there are different legislative issues, uh, legislative ways to resolve this. We have to make sure, and and we have to make sure that this is something that is done also protecting small landlords because we want to make sure that if you have a home and you have a couple of uh, uh, you you rent a couple of the rooms in it, etc or you have a home and you, you rent a couple of the floors uh, to other folks, we don't have to do it. We have millions of people across the state and our nation who are unemployed through no fault of their own from one day to the next. So we're asking them to just hold on for a second, and then with an unemployment system that was not ready for the, for the influx of individuals that came in, uh, and, and then we're asking them to just, just don't worry about it. You won't be evicted for three months, but in three months, you'll just have to come up with those three months of rent. If not, you know, then it's it's all on you. We have to act more aggressively. And and one point that I'll make quickly about the legislature, we are still in session and we will return. We have we're we're figuring out the exact timing of it. But I would ask uh, that that everyone uh, just tomorrow. And we need to make sure the technology to be able to meet, to be able to hold hearings, to be able to hold Um, committee meetings and we can do all of these things and we should legislate because we cannot allow the governor to just do whatever he wants as though this was a kingdom it is not it is a democracy we are three branches of government and i know that i am looking forward to getting back and legislating as soon as humanly possible
0: and senator we're almost out of time and i had so much more to ask you and i'd love to have you back on the show but i do ask every one of my guests this and i'm curious on a very personal level how have yep. you been affected by coronavirus how have you been impacted by this
1: well i have to you know the first thing i'll tell you is that i'm i'm always reminded that when i tell when i talk about my story mine is not one of struggle but one of privilege i still get a check every two weeks i still have a place to be in i still have food on my in, in my refrigerator so i always remember that uh, the small challenge that I'm dealing with, which is tiny compared to so many people who're dealing with real challenges, I'm an introvert, believe it or not, so staying inside is not the problem. Being effective and working while here is the problem because my TV is right there, my fridge is right over there, my bed is the challenge. I just kind of have to you know take I'm in contact with my staff constantly because we still have constituents that we're dealing with uh, in contact with my colleagues and <clears throat> folks who provide care around my 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 community and my and and, and my district um so i'm i'm managing i am dealing and i'm I'm mostly i'm thinking about the folks who are in worse off situations uh, and there's many of them whether it's frontline workers whether it's folks who are homeless or folks who could be homeless folks who are unemployed looking for that unemployment check all those folks so i get through the day by figuring out what are the things that i can do today to make sure that i can provide a little bit to make their lives a little easier
0: Senator Gustavo Rivera, how can people learn more about you and your work?
1: Uh, well, t- first, I thank you for the invitation, certainly. You can look for me on Facebook under Honorable Gustavo Rivera, <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter. I am at, at NYSenatorRivera. Uh, or you can just Google me, and uh, if you go, like, to the third or fourth page, then you'll find a Gustavo Rivera, who's a ranchero singer from Texas. But <laughs> you don't go to the third or fourth page, although he looks like my cousin, weirdly enough. Uh, but just if you look for Gustavo Rivera, you'll find me. Uh, and and if you are a constituent, be in touch. Our offices are still open, and we are, uh, we're ready to be able to, to assist you in anything that we can. And stay safe out
2: there.
0: Senator Rivera, thanks so much for joining me here on WBAI. Absolutely. WBAI 99.5.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I was just talking with New York State Senator Gustavo Rivera about his work in the state Senate and healthcare issues. So I mentioned at the outset of the show the New York Times story that I just found so moving as a number of nurses recounted what their lives have been like in recent weeks and one had said and this really resonated with me and I'm sure you're all feeling this it feels like a year already like one long day that's never ending. And it does feel that way as many of us are isolating ourselves but For those still working in our hospitals, the stories they're telling are filled with anguish and with sadness and with pain. They're dealing with the constancy of death. Even as the numbers of people testing positive are dropping as that curve seems to be flattening, there are still quite a number of people who are hospitalized and require treatment. And so just about a week or so ago, a union representing New York nurses filed several lawsuits accusing the state and two hospitals of allegedly, quote, compromising the health and safety of members who are fighting the coronavirus pandemic. And the suit had indicated that the state's hospitals are turning into a petri dish as sick coronavirus pandemic. The New York State Nurses Association launched the civil complaints against the State Department of Health and Westchester Medical Center and a federal lawsuit against Montefiore Medical Center. Nurse Pat Kane, who's been the union's executive director only for a few months since last December, had said that 70% of her members are exposed to coronavirus and most are still untested, and that we can't allow these dangerous practices to continue. So I invited her on today's show to talk about what the conditions are like out there and what she wants to see to protect her nurses across the state. Pat Kane, welcome to WBAI. Hi,
3: Jeff. Thanks for having me
0: on. So first, can you tell our listeners about your how many members you represent, the types of work they do, and where they're based more broadly.
3: Sure. So New York State Nurses is seven. Um, we're a state. We also represent some other healthcare professionals like respiratory therapists.
2: Um, we currently
3: have over 42,000 members. And like I said, all over the state from North Country to where I live in, Staten Island. Um, and uh, primarily, we are a union for registered nurses and also a professional. So
0: yeah, and I, I had mentioned that you had stepped into this role as of last December. Uh, before I get to more specific questions about what uh, the situation is at a number of our medical institutions, you just talk a little.
3: I couldn't hear the question, Jeff. I'm sorry. About your career. Geez, I became a registered nurse in um, 1983, so I've been at it for. A- for a little while. Um, I've been a nice member since 1996. I became an um, active union member, um, did just about everything um, in the union that there was to do, was president of my local bargaining unit. Um, in 2010, myself and some colleagues ran for the board of directors of the union. Up until that time, the union was really more of a professional association than a union, and um, we ran a slate of candidates to kind of changed the direction the union was going in with the support of rank-and-file staff nurses and we won that election i was treasurer for about nine years and then um yeah last year in june the board offered me this position and i started on december 20th so uh, most of my nursing career um, throughout all that time was spent at staten island hospital um primarily in the open heart operating room for about the last 20 years
0: So I mentioned the suits, and I don't want to really spend much time on this. People can go online and read about the suits that had been filed. I would like to get to the conditions. But generally, what led you to take these actions?
3: Well, we really felt that, um, you know, we have been out there, Jeff, and I'm sure your listeners um, have seen us uh, out in the newspapers and um, in general, some of our nurses having actions in front of their hospitals and, had just about tried every means we possibly could to correct what we saw as serious problems and failures to protect the health and safety both of our nurses who are out there risking their lives every day to to provide care for our patients, um, but also conditions that we felt jeopardized our fight against this virus and, um, you know, jeopardized our family's health and the health of our community. So, um, you know, filing the suit was really... Um, to seek an injunction to stop some of the practices that are going on while we try to, um, you know, come to some agreements on uh, how we can make conditions better and what kind of regulations we need.
0: And what are from your members, what are you hearing from them on the front lines? What are some of the situations they're in that have you concerned
3: Well, um, from the start, it was a lot about the personal uh, protective equipment, what we call PPE, and that continues to be a problem. Um, I think most people have heard about shortages of equipment. A lot of emphasis was really put on ventilators from the start, um, but really it's all kinds of equipment that we need to take care of these patients. And as far as battling the virus goes to contain an infection, you need the proper personal protective equipment so that you yourself aren't spreading the disease and um, to protect the rest of the people that you work with as you take care of these patients. Um, So early on, uh, the shortages in PPE uh, became a challenge. We never used this kind of equipment in the way that we're being told to use it now. This is disposable equipment meant for one patient encounter that we're being asked to initially. in some cases, as long as a week um, and try to just kind of wipe it down and clean it. And, um, you know, as you can imagine, that's certainly um, not a situation that is conducive to taking proper care of patients or or yourself, for that matter. But um, the PPE and the staffing um, continues to be a problem. Uh, You know, you heard the governor uh, pass an executive order that hospitals had to increase their capacity by 50%, but that means more than beds, right? You need the staff to take care of those patients. These patients clinically um, sometimes become very ill. They end up in intensive care, very often on ventilators, and the normal assignment for that kind of patient, what it takes to take care of that kind of patient, one nurse can usually handle two patients like that. Um, Now they're being asked to take care of four or five in many places at the same time. So just the level, and as you said at the top of this segment, um, you know, the sad truth that we're losing many patients um, and dealing with that on top of the not having the proper equipment, not having enough staff, and then losing a lot of these battles and seeing people change clinically um, from being relatively stable um, to really not being able to breathe on their own very quickly you know, as you can imagine, is, is very stressful and creates an unmanageable situation for our nurses who, you know, are really just trying to get everyone through this.
0: And as of now, how many, how many of your members or how many nurses have tested positive or, or passed away? Because I had, I had heard a number, but I might not be up to date on that.
3: Well, the sad thing about the testing is, Jeff, that most of our members have not been tested um so the best we can do is estimate we do weekly surveys we when this started we started sending out like a text survey to our members um to try to get a handle on what's going on i mean we know of maybe a thousand nurses that have tested positive than our members but when we send out that text we also ask them are you having symptoms and have you been tested and you know, every week we get 40 or 50 responses from nurses saying, I'm symptomatic and I'm not being tested. So um, now I think four days ago the governor had announced they were doing testing in four hospitals in the New York City area. We haven't seen any report. That was antibody testing, though, by the way. It wasn't diagnostic testing. Um, we haven't seen those results reported out. We're, we're waiting to see that. But, um, you know, unfortunately the sad truth was many of our members, were sick and were exposed were not able to be tested Um, and we have lost members we've lost um, over 20 members now I think about 24 members um, you know have fallen in this fight which is um, very sad and you know yet uh, Tuesday uh, was workers memorial day we had a memorial for our brothers that have fallen
0: And I talked with Senator Gustavo Rivera at the beginning of the show, and he was providing his candid assessment of how he feels the governor has handled this in comparison with our president, but also the way the governor, uh, uh, you know, exclusively has handled this. If you could send a message to the governor right now, if there was a message you wanted to resonate with him about your membership and your members and what they need, what would that message be?
3: Well, as we're talking about reopening, um, and I think this has been my message consistently, frontline workers need to be at the table where decisions are being made. Um, You know, our members are the experts. They are experts in infection control. They have dealt with um, many different diseases in the course of their career. They're around a while, and um, this is what they're trained to do. And, you know, the most important thing is telling it to them straight. Um, I think throughout this, what's really important to us is just the right to know, right, Jeff? Like, if we are going to go, we know there's a risk with our profession. Um, When we go into nursing, we know we have an idea of what's involved. We have an idea of the risks that are involved. We also have an expectation that certain measures are going to be taken so that we can practice safely. And we we have a right, a fundamental right to know what we're up against. So... If we don't have enough equipment you know saying things like supplies are adequate there's enough when we are using equipment in a way that was never intended to be used is, is is the wrong way to go about it if you tell nurses what the risks are and what they're going to be up against many of them are still going to show up because that's who they are but tell us what the risks are going to be tell us that we're going to be taken care of um you know many of our members that have that live with. Um, their parents or they're, they're taking care of their parents or they have children at home that have asthma and other conditions were put in a situation where they felt like they were putting their families at risk every day that they came home to them. And many of them chose to stay in hotels or, or other places and have really isolated themselves from their families. Um, but they need to know that someone has their back, right? That if they get sick, they're going to be taken care of, um, that their family is going to be taken care of that their livelihood is going to be taken care of and just that they can be tested. Um, and like I said, they're, they're going to show up, but tell it to them straight. Tell, tell us what we're up against. And, um, you know, we'll bring it to that table so we can figure out how to reopen safely with you um, and partner with you on that. We're seeing nurses upstate right now that are being furloughed, um, if you can believe that. So I, I wasn't even aware this- of that. Yes, well, you know, part of it is because hospitals haven't been able to do, I mean, and the governor's spoken about this, he laid out a plan for um, hospitals to be able to restart doing what's called elective surgeries, although you'd be surprised what's considered elective. There are a lot of folks out there waiting um, to have procedures that they really need to have, that they need to relieve their pain, that they need to um, improve their quality of life, etc. And Because hospitals haven't been doing that, their revenue um, has really been cut in a lot of places. So we're seeing in upstate uh, a lot of facilities talking about furloughing nurses, laying off nurses, while downstate we still have, I think the Times reported, about 4,000 agency nurses still in midtown Manhattan that are from out of state that were brought in to deal with the surge. We started a program, COVID Nurse Corps, to try to bring upstate nurses downstate Hopefully, we'll be sending out the first um, dispatchment of that next week. But you know, when you think about we're hearing in the fall, you know, and I think we all agree that we're going to be up against um, you know another situation in the fall, and you have these nurses who are being furloughed or laid off. Um, you know, we have to figure we have to figure out a better solution um, to how to deal with that. Uh, perhaps it's putting them on the tracing. Army that we need. I'd probably be a good fit um, for that kind of work, but we, um, you know, we really have to figure this out a little bit better. When we, especially when we still have nurses downstate that have these unman- still have unmanageable patient loads and and also really need a break. Um, you know, they really do need a break in some relief.
0: And I've got just about a minute or so left. And as I mentioned to Senator Rivera, I ask all my guests this. Uh, And particularly with you, I would think that this would resonate a lot because a lot of your friends and associates you've known for years because you've been in this sector. How have you personally been affected by the pandemic?
3: Well, on the one hand, um, I've been very fortunate um, in terms of my own personal situation and my family and um, you know, my husband really supporting me in this work. Um, you know, when people say, uh, talk about working from home, I mean, I'm I'm working many, many hours a day, um, but the work is different, right? I, I wish I could be out there uh, more, um, you know, with the members and beside them. I feel really honored um, to be in this position. I've always... <laughs> I mean, I'm a nurse myself. I've always, um, you know, felt very strongly about the profession and about the importance of this organization, of this union. Um, But now I feel uh, honored and inspired by the work these men and women are doing. And I think it's important, you know, we we always hear about the deaths, but I think it's also important to think about the tens of thousands of people that these frontline workers have saved. Um, and I don't think we do that enough because we're always thinking about death, and that weighs heavy on our members as well. But it's really important to emphasize we've had an awful lot of wins, and we've saved an awful lot of people throughout all this, and very often without the proper equipment and without the staffing and and in suboptimal conditions. But they've managed to do that. Um, That is what they do. They stand ready to continue this fight. Just give them the armor, give them the tools, and they'll continue to save thousands of people throughout this.
0: And uh, what goes through your mind? I, mean, I just have one more question now. What goes through your mind every night at seven o'clock when you, you know, hear the applause, uh, you know, for our frontline and essential workers?
3: Um, I think it's it's very moving. It's very touching. Um, uh, you know, I, to feel that love is is very important for for. For the nurses and the and the healthcare workers on the front line, um, I hope that that translates into action. I hope that it translates into, after this, and even as we go through this, a, a just and more equitable healthcare system where we don't see the haves and the have-nots, where we don't see one community disproportionately affected by this disease. Um, you know, where all my members can be protected at the same level and have the same resources to care for their patients on a daily basis, whether we're in a pandemic or we're just, um, you know, at some point back to normal. So that clapping to me means, you know, hope for the future, um, hope for some real change and to look back on this um, health care system that we kind of knew was struggling going in and, and you know, really have a more just and equitable health care system that's truly able to take care of everyone
0: and where can people go to learn more about the New York State Nurses Association?
3: Sure, it's nysna.org. And we're on Facebook and Twitter as well.
0: Pat Kane, Executive Director of the New York State Nurses Association. Thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI today. Thanks, Jeff. So you've been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM here in New York and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and today I've been focusing on healthcare issues amid the coronavirus pandemic. So as the state, by the way, something that Pat Kane had mentioned, if you weren't familiar with it, Uh, The announcement happened earlier that New York uh, today, that New York is going to hire up to 17,000 contact tracers as part of a statewide effort to combat the pandemic by tracking down people who've gone near those infected by COVID-19. The Wall Street Journal is noting that the governor today had said that the state needs at least 30 tracers for every for every 100,000 people to follow the path of those infected and determine whether their contacts should be isolated. Also, uh, as the state is dealing with this unprecedented crisis, there's been significant need for more support on the front lines of healthcare provision. So uh, recently the governor had issued an executive order that allows medical students who were uh, getting ready to graduate in the spring to begin practicing earlier. Uh, the president of the Associated Medical Schools of New York, Joe Wiederhorn, had said that means that 12 medical schools across the city, Westchester, Rockland, Long Island, are graduating. their are fourth year students earlier instead of waiting till this next month in May when they would have graduated. Uh, New York State, if you didn't know, trains more medical students than any other state in the nation, and these new graduates are joining healthcare professionals that are providing essential healthcare support despite significant challenges and often putting their own lives uh, and their own health in jeopardy. Our correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston, has been talking with New Yorkers uh, about how they're coping with this new normal. And as part of her series, New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary, she talked with one medical professional, Shari Beatty, a neonatal intensive care nurse from Manhattan, who shared what it's like caring for the most fragile newborns in the age of COVID-19. Let's take a listen.
3: Listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz Marston. This is New York in Crisis. WBAI's Coronavirus Diary.
2: I'm Shari Beatty. I live in Manhattan, New York, and I'm a registered nurse at New York Presbyterian, the Cornell Campus on 68th and York Avenue. I work in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, which is with um, newborn babies that are either born too early or that have problems. The change has been that all the moms get tested and all the moms that are positive, those babies are in a separate isolation room and we test the, those babies and they're, they stay in isolation until the test comes back positive or negative for them and the good news is no babies have been positive at this time. The moms that are positive, the parents are not allowed to visit. They're not allowed in the unit whatsoever and the parents that are there, that are well or without symptoms, only one parent is allowed to visit at a time. It's very hard, and it's, it's sad. And initially, they, they had told the, that the mothers couldn't have their support people at the birth. Um, and I think Governor Cuomo um, stopped that. So that was um, for about five or six days. But we all felt terrible. I mean, that's, I can't even imagine having to give birth and not have anyone there with you. It's hard because things change every day. Like at first, they weren't allowed to hold the babies. We wanted to keep them, the babies safe, so we kept them inside the incubators that they're in. Then um, the parents can now hold the babies, but they have to wear a mask and a gown and gloves, and they're not supposed to kiss their baby. So all this is very unnatural and very difficult. Some parents are definitely resistant about complying, and in that case... They were told if they can't comply that they'll have to be asked to leave. Um, It's just, it's, you know, we have a lot of emotional support people in place to help them deal with it, including the nurses. It's very sad. We let them talk about how they feel and just reiterate the importance of keeping everybody safe, their children, their families, the nurses taking care of their children, it's just, you know, it's 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 definitely difficult. Some people are more, um, you know, they're okay with it, and other people are very angry about it, which is completely understandable, and we just try and reassure them that this won't be forever. My coworkers are truly the heroes. They're taking care of these sick patients, and they're being so positive, and they're saying it's the patients that are the heroes. I'm basically a positive person, but I'm very grateful to, um, be able to be home with my family, with my husband and my two kids and that we're healthy and we're getting through this one day at a time and trying to keep things as normal as we can during this time. Um, and you know, I do like going to work, the routine of it and being there for my coworkers. It's very, um, helpful and the actually the director of my department got um, music for us to play in the rooms to help keep the stress levels down. So we all have Bluetooth and we can play music um, and that definitely helps and the generosity and support of my co-workers, their families, the the other people at the hospital, they're all sending food and makeup and all positive sayings that definitely help keep us uplifted. Sherry Beattie is a nurse in Manhattan. Stay tuned for
3: more installments of New York in Crisis, WBAI's coronavirus diary,
2: and for the latest news and updates on COVID-19.
0: was our Celeste Katz-Marston with the latest coronavirus entry. I've got just about uh, two or three minutes left, and What's interesting is I am finding the urge to take breaks throughout my day uh, to clean a different room just to keep myself occupied and I was cleaning up my closet and one thing that's just hanging there that I will not get rid of or put in storage is my WBAI tote bag Reggie I hope you realize I like to use my tote bag and why do we have these tote bags or why do we how do we get them? I got this because well I know I volunteer at WBAI. I could have asked for one, but I did it the right way. I became a BAI buddy. And even in this pandemic, as we're realizing it's difficult for many people to make ends meet, I'm still contributing to BAI every month. I want to keep us on the air. I want to sustain our programming. I'm going to keep carrying around that tote bag. And if you go to WBAI's website, you will also see that we also have uh, WBAI-branded face masks also Uh, that you can also uh, contribute to us and receive remember we're not corporate we're not commercial we're community progressive radio we have been around for 60 years we want to be around for 60 more and if you become a BAO buddy it is as simple as just making a monthly contribution of ten dollars a month people usually do about 15 you could do 20 dollars Think of, you know, if you're at home right now and you're listening, just go online and you could easily become a BAI buddy. You can get that tote bag. Uh, it's give to, that's the number two, wbai.org, uh, give to wbai.org. There's other ways you could do this too. You still can call our call center. You still can call 516-620-3602 and that number again is 516-620-3602 or you can text, if you prefer texting, text WBAI to 41444. That's uh, WBAI to 41444 and then just follow the prompts on your smartphone. Uh, It really is important that this time, if you can, to step up uh, for WBAI, we really would appreciate it. I wanna give you just a quick programming note. Stay with WBAI tomorrow, May 1st. It's International Workers' Day, which celebrates laborers across the world. So from nine in the morning through seven at night, WBAI in New York and WPFW in Washington will air special programming as workers and union organizers around the globe offer analyses on workers' rights and well-being and how people can create a worker-centered world. I want to thank my guests today, New York State Senator Gustavo Rivera, and New York State Nurses Association Executive Director Pat Kane also want to thank Celeste Katz for her Marston for her latest contribution, and of course Reggie Johnson who is keeping us on the air and sounding as good as possible. Thank you again. Please stay with WBAI and have a wonderful day.